All right, so we are continuing in Unit 6 of Humble Yourself, The Way to Greatness. And Unit 6 is Humble Yourself Before Man. Take the lowest place. And we're up to point E, which is honor God in others. So this is going to make some of you uncomfortable, and I'm okay with that, because I've got enough scriptures listed here that you can do the work for yourself to understand from the Word of God that I'm not talking crazy with what I'm about to say. So what we're going to go into, we already talked about honoring God, speaking through the body of Christ and other believers and prophets who are genuinely speaking for the Lord. So those are people who are connected to God. But we also have to honor the fact that God created all people and God is sovereign over even unbelievers particularly kings and those in authority. Remember, all authority is appointed by God. So do not be haughty against authorities just because they are unbelievers and don't know Jesus. Don't think that you're better or that God is not working through them even though they don't know him. Now, just be careful with this. This doesn't mean that you receive what an unbeliever says to you the same way that you would receive a prophet, but we're a prophet of God who is speaking for God. But we're going to look at some examples from the scriptures about not being haughty towards unbelievers, because there are examples of how that didn't go very well for people in the Bible. So Proverbs chapter 16, verse 10, an oracle is on the lips of a king. His mouth does not sin in judgment. So remember, a king, the king, no matter what nation, tribe, people, tongue, group, he is the king of, then the oracle is on his lips. His mouth does not sin in judgment. God is speaking the Lord's will, whether it looks righteous or not. Now, remember the example of Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was not the world's most righteous guy, but yet God called Nebuchadnezzar my servant. Why? Because Nebuchadnezzar was the one God was using to execute justice against nations that were in rebellion against him. So you've got to, I know this is different. You got to get your head wrapped around that. So even the poor judgment of the king is a part of how God implements justice. So even the wrath of God, as it's described in Romans 1, there are a couple of rounds of this where God then, you know, people are in sin, they reject God and his ways, so God turns them over to their own evil desire. And then they get even more depraved, they get even more sinful. And so God, again, round two, turns them over to their own evil desire, right? So, and it goes on and on, keep turning people own, over to their own evil desire. So, when, when the king of your nation stands up and issues a very unjust decree, it's most likely because the Lord is turning your nation over to their own evil desire. See, God is sovereign over all of this. You, It's a very immature use of discernment. It is proof that you have not trained your senses to discern good from evil yet. If you still see a leader making an evil decision and think that God doesn't know all about it or isn't sovereignly ruling over it. 
Remember Pharaoh and his hardened heart. God gave Pharaoh plenty of chances to humble himself, to soften his heart, to let God's people go. But Pharaoh continued and continued and continued to harden his heart. And so then God hardened his heart and sent the judgments. And eventually, you know what happened with the rest of the story. So an example of this, consider Rehoboam. Now, Rehoboam was Solomon's son who became king after Solomon died. So Rehoboam was Solomon's son who became king. When when Rehoboam became king, he took counsel from the elders, and he also took counsel from his pals who were young like him. And the elders said, if you will ease the burden of the people, if you will be kind to the people, then they will be loyal to you forever. But the younger friends, the, his pals who were young, and they were like, nah, you got to take authority over this. You got to show them who's boss. Well, Rehoboam listened to the council and he decided to go with the council of the younger ones. And so he had very harsh, harsh words for the people. Well, when the people heard this, they all rebelled. So 10 tribes, 10 out of 12 tribes divided themselves. They said, we want nothing to do with Judah anymore. What do we have to do with the line of David? We're setting up our own kingdom in the north. Forget you and your harshness. We are done. Your father imposed heavy taxes on us. You say you're going to impose even heavier taxes on us. We're out. We're not doing this anymore. So you think, oh, whoops, Rehoboam, you really missed it, man. You totally messed up. Well, not exactly. Because what the scripture says is that this was exactly the fulfillment of God's plan. How do we know? Because before this moment and before Solomon even died, God had already told a guy named Jeroboam. Now, I wish it wasn't Jeroboam and Rehoboam. I mean, Good grief. Couldn't they have had names that were a little bit different? But hey, whatever. Welcome to the Bible. So this guy named Jeroboam, before Solomon even died, knew that God was going to give him 10 tribes to rule over. Because of Solomon's sin, God had already said that the kingdom was going to be divided. So Rehoboam being harsh with the people was purely in alignment with God's already foreordained plan to split the nation into two different separate kingdoms, right? So all of this happened. And then even more so when Rehoboam was like, oh, no, you don't. I'm forming an army and I'm going to come get you and bring you back. And we're all going to be one united kingdom again. God sent a prophet to Rehoboam and said, don't do it. Don't fight this because I'm the one dividing the kingdom. And so Rehoboam, he listened to the prophet who was speaking the word of the Lord, and he did not fight the division in the kingdom. And so, you know, this gets complicated because you want to quote your scriptures and say, well, God's will is always unity. God's will is always for one kingdom. God's will is always this. Yeah, but see, it's not always that simple. So Rehoboam being harsh and looking like a fool was actually God sovereignly ruling over nations to fulfill what he had already prophetically decreed to be his will. All right. I know this is different for some of you. Bear with me. You can look in all of the scriptures or in your study guide. You can look them up on your own time and just let the spirit, let it sink into your spirit so that you can grow in wisdom and understanding of how these things work. 
So God also gives wisdom to kings. We're talking about kings, but God speaks to kings, gives them wisdom through various means so that his purposes are fulfilled, whether they acknowledge God or not. So almost every leader on the list that we're about to go through was not a believer, was not in covenant with God, was totally a Gentile, not connected to God at all, and yet God spoke to them or through them. Okay, so let's take a look, starting with Pharaoh. Pharaoh in the days of Joseph. Pharaoh in the days of Joseph, what did he have? God gave him dreams. Dreams. He had two dreams, and through these dreams, God was showing him that famine was about to come. Seven years of bounty and seven years of famine. Now, God also had put Joseph there to interpret the dream so that Joseph could go into Pharaoh and interpret the dream that Pharaoh had. But God is the one that gave Pharaoh the dream about the impending famine. So Pharaoh was the king. God spoke to Pharaoh about the famine. So another example is a different Pharaoh from many years prior to this, when Pharaoh knew somehow, we don't know, it doesn't say that it was a dream, but somehow Pharaoh knew that Sarah was Abraham's wife. And, you know, he must have sought his gods or he was looking for the answer because when Sarah was brought into his harem, plagues broke out all over Egypt. And so, it, like I said, the Bible is silent. We don't know exactly how Pharaoh figured out or got this insight that Sarah was Abraham's wife. But somehow, spiritually speaking, it was revealed to him, you know, because he was in this situation and he was seeking the answer. Uh, another example is Abimelech. So this is, again, uh, Abraham not not doing so well right now, lying on behalf of his wife, Sarah, saying that he's she's his sister. Um, but Abimelech, Abimelech, when he did the same thing pretty much that Pharaoh had done because Sarah was so good looking that Abimelech wanted her for himself, um, Abimelech had a dream. And then he was like, man, what have you done to me? Like, this is your wife, not your sister. And so Abimelech got God spoke to Abimelech. The scripture is clear on that one, that God gave Abimelech a dream, spoke to Abimelech through the dream. And Abimelech was even like, whoa, God, I'm innocent in this. I didn't know. And God was like, I know you didn't know, you know, like whatever. So God, even though it's his guy who's lying and Abimelech is the one who's functioning in integrity, God spoke to Abimelech so that the right thing could be accomplished. Another example, Nebuchadnezzar. When Nebuchadnezzar was going to attack Jerusalem, he used divination to consult with his gods to receive direction about which way he was supposed to go. And if he, I forget how it goes exactly, but if he went one way, he was going to go to a different country. But if he went another way, he was going to go towards Jerusalem. And God, so even the scripture says that even the lots cast are directed by the Lord. The lot is cast, but the answer is from the Lord. So Nebuchadnezzar used his own form of spiritual divination, but God sovereignly over that caused the divination to direct him and direct his path to attack Jerusalem because that was the will of God. So I am not, hear me clearly, I am not saying that God speaks through divination, but I am saying that as Nebuchadnezzar needed direction about what he was doing, God 
overrided the divination, the method that Nebuchadnezzar was using to seek wisdom. So because God sovereignly knew that he wanted Nebuchadnezzar to attack Jerusalem. And so God caused the end result that he desired to come into effect. That does not give you authorization to use the means of divination to consult God. That's not how God wants to be consulted. But again, in this case, God used, he he says this in Ezekiel 21, yep, you consulted by divination, but I'm the one who sent you to Jerusalem. So again, years after this, when Nebuchadnezzar has Daniel in the palace, God, like Pharaoh, God gave Nebuchadnezzar a dream of the empires, the world empires that were to come. That's Daniel chapter two. So again, this is God giving prophetic insight, revelation, understanding to a pagan world leader, to a pagan Gentile king. And again, Daniel was in his court and Daniel was given the interpretation by the Spirit of the Lord. But Daniel was not the one given the dream. Nebuchadnezzar was given the dream. Daniel was given the interpretation. Okay, so you're you're starting to see it. Another example, Cyrus. This is now the Persian Empire. After the Jews had been in exile for 70 years, Cyrus, according to the word of the Lord, and this is first articulated in Isaiah 45, hundreds of years before Cyrus was even born, God called him by name and said, I will raise you up, even though you don't know me at all. You will fulfill my purpose, even though you don't know me and you don't acknowledge me. So Cyrus decreed the return of the Jews to their land in the Persian Empire. So the land that they had been exiled from by Babylon and then stayed in Babylon for 70 years, Cyrus issued a decree that the Jews could all return to their land. Even though he didn't know God, he fulfilled the plan of God in the nations of the earth in his day. And again, the scriptures for that are listed in your study guide. So jumping into a New Testament example of this, the wise men who came to meet and to worship the, the, the babe Jesus, Jesus who had just been born. The wise men, they were most likely kings or leaders or magi. They were most likely sorcerers, leaders of sorcery from the Chaldeans, right? That's what the wise men were, where they were coming from. But they, they, they went to Herod, they asked about the king of Israel, and Herod was very curious and said, well, where is the place of the king supposed to be born? And they were told Bethlehem. So they went to Bethlehem, they saw the star, they followed the star because they were probably using divination, they were probably worshiping the sun, moon, and stars, they were probably astrologists, and that's how they were led, right? And so they see the star, they find Jesus, they worship him, they offer him their gifts. But then, why is it that they did not go back? Back to Herod, but they went back to their place a different way. Why? Because God gave them a dream. In a dream, God spoke to them not to go back to Herod. God spoke to them, don't go that way, go a different way and go back to your own land. So these, you could say that they were believers because they did come to worship the king of Israel, but God spoke to them in a dream. Coming into it, they weren't believers. I don't know how you want to balance that out, but you know, just go with me on that. It's just another example of how God spoke to people through a dream to guide them. 
And the last example, this is a leader who was the leader of the Jewish people. He was the high priest of the Jewish people during the times of Jesus, even when Jesus was being crucified and turned over to death. But look at what the scripture says. Even though Caiaphas rejected Jesus, he prophesied accurately about Jesus' death. He said, isn't it better for one man to die for the people rather than the whole people be destroyed? He had no idea what he was saying. But as the high priest, he was a representative. He was an authority. He was in a position of authority that was appointed by God. Do you see it? So he spoke accurately. Yes, you know exactly what was happening when Jesus died on the cross? Jesus was dying for the whole nation. Isn't it better for one man to die than the whole nation? Yes, God rendered the same thing. It's better that I send my son to die for the whole nation than that the whole nation be destroyed. Because Jesus died, Jesus was destroyed, and then he was raised from the dead so that anyone could place their faith in him and the the whole nation would not be destroyed because a righteous remnant would put their faith in the Messiah and not be destroyed. Hallelujah. So, but it's another example. Caiaphas was in a position of God-appointed authority. And even though he was turning Jesus over to crucifixion, he spoke, he prophesied accurately about the death of Jesus. And that's John eleven fifty one. 51. Again, all the references are there in your study guide. We're not reading through the reference, but you can go and look them up in your own time. And so the basic lesson from all of this, I know that we talked a lot about kings, but haughtiness and presumption against unbelievers, especially unbelievers who are in positions of authority, it's not going to go well for you. Abraham lied two times. Why did he lie? The scripture tells us because Abraham thought to himself, "Uh uh-oh, there's no fear of God in this place. These people don't fear God, so I'm going to have to lie because they're going to kill me or they're going to take my wife. They're going to, you know, they're going to kill me so they can have my wife. There's no fear of God in this place. These people are going to be wicked and evil. Well, that's what Abraham thought to himself. And so, therefore, he violated the ways of God by lying. And then Isaac, his son, did the same thing. So Isaac had probably a different Abimelech, but that was kind of the name of the Philistine rulers in that day. So it's like Pharaoh, one Pharaoh, and then 400 years, there's a different Pharaoh. It's the same type of thing with Abimelech and the Philistines. Like you got one Abimelech and then a couple hundred years later. Now, Abraham to Isaac was just a few decades later, but it was most likely a different Abimelech. But Isaac did the same thing with this other Abimelech, and he lied and said that Rebecca was not his wife, but his sister. All right, bad habits run in the family. But it was also the same idea of, uh uh-oh, there's no fear of God in this place, so I better come up with my own scheme to protect myself and protect my wife against these unbelievers. 
No, sometimes, and this is heartbreaking to say, but sometimes unbelievers are better behaved than believers. And believers sometimes act like grace gives them a free pass for bad behavior because Jesus paid it all. But you know what? Sometimes it's the unbeliever who is demonstrating the kindness and the righteousness that the unbeliever is yet incapable of in their own life or their own walk. So haughtiness and presumption against unbelievers looking down on them, it's not the right way to go. You know, Jesus saw unbelievers, and even in their desperation, in their sickness, in their confusion, in all their wrong choices, he saw them as sheep that were without a shepherd. He had compassion on them. One of my favorite verses is that he had compassion on them because he saw that they were like sheep without a shepherd, and so he taught them many things. He taught them many things, and he taught them. He didn't teach them, you know, like practical life skills. He taught them about God. He taught them about God and the ways of God. He didn't lift up his soul in arrogance against unbelievers. He took the lowest place. That doesn't mean he was taking the counsel of unbelievers. That doesn't mean that he was running his life and ministry like a democracy where even unbelievers had a say in what it was that he was supposed to be doing. No, he took his direction exclusively from the Father. No one but the Father. But we can't be presumptuous or arrogant against unbelievers that are in our life, and especially those who are in positions of authority. So another example of this, last one, is that Josiah. Josiah was king of Judah, the southern kingdom, and he was the last good king. He had four sons who all were king after him. They that None of them went very well. And then finally Babylon invaded and the southern kingdom of Judah was destroyed and sent into exile. Josiah was a good king. There were major reforms back to the word of God in the days of Josiah. It was wonderful time. Because God said he would delay the judgment until the end of the days of Josiah, until after Josiah had already gone. But Josiah became arrogant and presumptuous. And so during the, his final days, this is how Josiah died. Josiah died because Pharaoh, who at that time, his name was Pharaoh Necho. So again, it's a different Pharaoh. His name was Pharaoh Necho. Pharaoh Necho was making his way through the promised land, through the kingdom of Judah, up into Assyria. Pharaoh Egypt was attacking Assyria, but there's only one way to get there. And so he had to go through the land of Judah. And he was on a mission to get to Assyria to overthrow it. But then Josiah went out to confront him in battle. And Pharaoh Necho said, stop opposing me because God, God told me to attack Assyria. I have no fight to pick with you. I'm not here to have a battle with you. I'm on my way to somewhere else. And God is the one who has sent me to attack that place. So stop opposing God by opposing me. So this is a Gentile ruler who's saying that God has sent him to attack another nation. It's the same type of concept of Nebuchadnezzar being called God's servant for rendering justice or judgment against nations in rebellion. Well, God had spoken to Pharaoh or somehow Pharaoh Necho knew that God was sending him to attack Assyria. But Josiah did not believe that God could speak to a Gentile king. 
Josiah, with all of his study of the Word of God and with all of his devotion to the Lord, had become cynical, skeptical, whatever you want to call it, arrogant, haughty, looking down on an unbeliever as if they wouldn't have, as if Pharaoh Nico couldn't possibly have been led by God. And so Josiah ignored the word of Pharaoh Nico. He did not have a word from God to charge into battle, but Josiah presumed and went into battle, and that is how he died. He died in that very battle. And so again, friends, I just want you to hear, yes, it's very important that we honor God working through, speaking through, prophesying through people who are believers in the body of Christ. But keep in mind, God created everyone that has ever been created. Now, we're only a son or a daughter. You're only a child of God if you believe in Jesus Christ. It is through faith in Jesus that we have the right to become a child of God, and we start getting into the getting born again process. However, unbelievers, do not be haughty against them. Sometimes an unbeliever can say something that's from the Lord, whether they know it or not. So keep yourself totally connected to the Father. Keep yourself rooted and grounded completely in the Word, but recognize that God can sometimes even speak to or through an unbeliever. (music) 